You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to trash since Welcome to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. We are back. This is the pre-Christmas episode. I guess episode number 661. So close to the dreaded number of the beast, the 666 episode. Yeah. Which we hope to do something kind of fun for that episode. But uh, we'll see what uh, time allows once we get there. But it's Will. It's Sammy. And it's uh, Hong Kong Cinema of the 80s this week. Long arm, The Long Arm of the Law from uh, 1984. That's what we're going to be talking about. And um, 88 Films just put this out on Blu-ray, this one and part two. I think there's a part three as well, but I don't. they didn't put that in this bo- little box they got. And yeah. um, that's, uh, we actually got a review copy, and uh, we're going to check it out and uh, talk to you guys about it. And if you haven't seen it, then we'll let you know if you should. We'll get to that here in a little bit. Um I know that I'm not going to have a whole lot to talk about in this intro because, full disclosure, we recorded our Christmas episode uh, before this episode, and uh, we'll have a very special guest, which we'll talk about next week, um, and, uh, you know, kind of blew, blew the load, for lack of a better word. Uh, <laughs> kind of didn't realize that I did that, and then, uh, you know, that's what it did, but I'm sure we can find something to fill with, and I'm sure you might. Maybe you have a few. I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to take a quick peek here. Um I will say I'm excited to see as we get close to the end of December on Letterboxd, you know, you can create lists. Uh-huh. Um, I created a, as we always do, a sort of an organic list, the top 30 first time watches. So it's going to be interesting for me to see where, a little phone call, uh, where all that shakes out. Um, you know, I know you and I talk behind the scenes, maybe put something together, a first-time watch show of some kind in some capacity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I guess we'll see. I used to, you know, I used to always love doing those lists with you. Well, the good thing about Letterboxd is, is that all I got to do is go through and just look at what I watched. And uh, usually I can tell what I watched for the first time. So mine might be more recent than yours. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, not not this past year, though. I should be able to pull something together, more than likely. I don't know if I can pull 30, but I'll try. I used to love when we would... Um, Oh yeah, the best of list. 
Yeah, a little tease, tease each other, kind of. Yeah, that, well, that, that's a lot of fun. But here, here's so if anybody ever wonders why we don't really do those as much anymore, it's so hard to cram that stuff into the end of the year, and it's just so tough. And you know, again, you know, you it, you can almost laugh about it, like, oh, sounds like really hard work. You get to watch a lot of movies, but the problem is, it's hard to get a hold of stuff. Sometimes you got to really, really work hard to get it. You got to cram so much stuff in. Uh, my life's a very busy one. Will's life's a very busy one. So we just kind of let it go by the wayside. I'm, I'm not sure that it'll ever go away. I think we'll probably come back to it at some point, maybe even just do top 10. Maybe that'd be the way to go. But um, I'm sure we come back at it at some point. People do like those episodes. They, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a verse, you know, I'm, I'm not the first one to jump on list, but I do like doing them and it is fun. And again, we do get to play Koi Rory with each other, which we always enjoy doing. So, yeah, well, that's just it, right? I mean, it's always fun because you and I, as you know, as with you know, especially with us, um, there's that great Venn diagram where certain stuff we're both gonna love, both gonna see, both of us gonna love. There's some stuff I maybe wouldn't have gotten to, or vice versa, that we'll kind of push on each other, and it's uh, yeah, it's it's a fun exploration for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's fun to do and. It's fun to talk about new movies. It's fun to talk about movies we haven't seen for the but for the first time in the past year. It just it just leads to all kinds of conversations. So hopefully we'll be able to do that kind of stuff. And again, hopefully you know I, I told somebody on Facebook you know that hopefully one day we'll get back to the double feature. I mean I know we enjoy doing the double feature shows and stuff yeah. like that. But again, life is just very busy right now. So it sure is. I'm it's, sure uh, I'm sure we'll get back to it at some point. We will. We will. Um, I might have a couple of things I can talk about here quick. Sure. I got at least one thing I can talk about. So go ahead. So did I talk about seeing the film? I love movies. Did I talk about that? Uh, I don't think so. I saw that you watched this, but I don't think that I saw, I don't think that we've ever talked about it. I remember hearing about on the festival circuit. I uh, got a lot of buzz. Was it's Canadian, you know, so it was embraced here in the north. Um, saw it pop up on Netflix, and Chandler Levick's a bit of a buzzy name in film uh, for uh, her work. Um, so we saw this one, and I got to say, it, it you know Chandler does a really good job making a coming of age film that, while it does tread on some familiar ground it it does it in a pretty sincere way and i think there's some pretty nice organic realizations and coming of age stuff in here and for me um i'd be uh i'd be lying if i didn't say you know the the, the setting and everything felt you know very very close to home being around my neck of the woods and um yeah just a good film i think you'd really dig it um it, they have they're the lead character in this it's interesting because they, I wouldn't say that Levitt goes to great lengths to make him unlikable, but I think she does a good job of navigating the minefield of showing him warts and all, which you could kind of take that over the cliff and then people would tune out the character with some of his stuff that's unlikable. But I think when you see sort of the, you know, the organic place it comes from, um, I think it, it it's a really really nice kind of fleshed out coming of age story. So yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, 
The next thing I watched was just something quick. Paul Joyce has all these documentaries uh, that were on TV for years, and Arrows picked them up and put them on their channel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've seen a few of these. Yeah, they're good. Um, this one was, you know, quite old. It was probably from the early 90s, and it was uh, growing up with John Waters. <laughs> so John Waters is always someone I love listening to, much like William Friedkin or Peter Bogdanovich. There's, you know, there's a handful or more of filmmakers who I just, I could listen to them talk about observations on art and film and life forever. And yeah. Waters is one of those. Um, yeah, Waters, so uh, he just recently put out his top 10 list of films for the past year. That's always my favorite top 10 list every year. It's uh, it's a very interesting top 10. And I'm, yeah, I got to seek out some of those that I haven't seen. So Yeah, his top, 10, his top 10 list are always the best, man. So they're just like... He goes, yeah. you know, because it, it, it applies to his taste. And well, uh, his taste is very interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing of it is, I remember, yeah, there's a few films. When I used to crib a lot when we would do our shows, I'd always look for his list. Because there'd always be one or two things that um, I hadn't seen that, um, you know, I could count on to be, to be pretty good. Uh, and that I'd want to see and cram for my list. So, uh, you know, let me, can you, I'll take this opportunity. Can I just go ahead and go over his top 10 from the past year? It'll be a do. little bit of filler. So, okay. So, I don't really have much else to talk about. I was just yeah. going to, uh, you do that. It'll give me the time I need to find something I was going to reference that I was trying to stall to reference. <laughs> yeah, there we go. So from 10 to one, 10 is do not expect too much of the end of the world from Radha Jude. Uh, nine is Oppenheimer. His eight is strange way of life. That's Pedro L. Moldovar. That's, uh, uh, Ethan Hawke and uh, uh, what's his name? Pedro Pascal. Uh, Fallen Leaves. That's an Aki Aki Kurosawa was Kurosawa film. Yeah, good Finnish filmmaker. Finnish filmmaker. Uh, Sparta is his next one. It's a Romanian film. <laughs> Last Summer, Catherine Brillier film. So uh, that one's a little bit tough. Uh, the not a underage stepson and a stepmother falling in love. Definitely a brilliant material. Uh, full time from Eric Gravel, which I have no idea. He says it's as exciting as the French connection. I don't know. Uh, Master Gardener, Paul Schrader, which I'm meaning to watch pretty soon. Yep. Uh, a Prince from Pierre Creton. Um, and then his number one film of 2023 is Bo is Afraid. Which I saw, and I love Bo. Have you seen Bo yet? I haven't seen Bo yet, but it I love it Bo. screams of John Waters in some ways. It does. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I got to see this one, A Prince. I'm just going to read this to you, uh, this little blurb he writes, because this is so John Waters. You've never heard of this one, but I'd never heard of Super Mario Brothers when it came out either, so there. A most li- unlikely gay movie about a gen- generophilic hot male farmer and his two old man lovers who dropped dead for no apparent reason other than being embarrassed by youth and beauty. It's a dirty, in a soil-like way, dicks turn into mythic creatures, men howl like dogs, slow, spooky, and poetically fucked up. In other words, perfect. That's why I love that's why I love John Waters. He is he just has a way of word with words. <laughs> so that's called a prince. That's oh, what it's yes, called. Yes. So yeah, his uh, his films are always like you know what one I was trying to think of. I couldn't remember the name of it for the life of me. Haven't had much sleep. I'm a little sick. 
it's thanks to John Waters that my number one film, one of the last years that we did our um, did our top thirty lists, like for films of that year, uh, was because of him. It was Lil Quinquin was was a John Waters recommendation from Bruno Dumont. Yeah. And uh, I love the film. I think it's it's wonderful. It's it's also a very John Waters film. <laughs> yeah. yeah, most of his films are right. They deal with. Uh, I, I'll say that they deal with complicated subjects, but what they ultimately deal with is human subjects, the material that people don't want to talk about. Unblinking eye. Yeah, uh, you know the the humans, like the humans, like I'm a fucking robot. Yeah, uh, sort of the unblinking, an unblinking look at humans. Warts and all. Yeah, the complications of being a human being. Yes. That's what I, I think that transgressive cinema does more than anything, is it makes us look at ourselves. And I think that's what he's tied to. So, yeah, uh, his top ten list, go back and look at all of them. They're amazing. They're they're some of the best top ten lists you will get from anybody every year. Seriously. Yeah. No, they, they always are, for sure. Um, did I talk about Horror Express on the show? Uh, is that the Telly Savalas one, or is that the... Yeah. Savalas one. No, I don't know if you did. I know Todd and I reviewed that a while back, a couple years ago, but uh, I don't think yeah. you talked about it. Yeah. So this is one, you know, I like, don't love. I feel like this is one. And it's funny. I was talking to Braden about this, our youngest. He was asking me what I was watching. And I kind of described it as one. I said, hey, you know, like this is one that the generation just before me, before dad's generation, really dug. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, Telly Savalas. Uh, Obviously, we love a lot of 70s films, you and I, and 60s and 50s and 40s and so on. But but it feels like the horror stuff, I just, I'm a little more emotionally indebted to uh, mid-70s or Italy or American stuff from the 80s. And so for this, I know it's really well loved with some. Um, I like it. Don't love it. it. It's a fun one for sure. I like the monster. I like the train setting. It's, you know, it's... Um, it feels like uh, an Agatha Christie with some kind of horror bonker elements. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a solid one. It was it was a good rewatch. I appreciate it more now, I think, than I did back you know back when I first saw it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I like it. I like it quite a bit, actually. Yeah, I think Todd and I, on a rewatch, um, we talked about the things we really liked about it. I was kind of surprised how much I did like it on that rewatch, actually. Yeah, it's kind of nuts, right? I like that it's yeah. kind of nuts in spots. Yeah. Um, what, off the top of your head, what would you give it? Like out of 10, like if you can remember. What's your sort of knee I think, jerk I think score? I gave it like a seven and a half. It, it's somewhere in between and seven and a half and an eight for me. I mean, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, that feels pretty fair. I'd say like uh, 7.2575, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, it, it, I may be wrong and maybe thinking gloriously about it, but it might it might have been a seven to seven and a half I gave it, but I, I don't know. I'd have to go back and I don't write down what I give films. Uh, <laughs> maybe I should, but uh, I don't. Uh, so I'd have to go back and listen, but I do remember we enjoyed it on that rewatch. I do remember that. Nice. That's that's really all I've watched. Because like you said, you had alluded to, we kind of jumped the gun and talked about a few things with Davey. Oh, I will say one more thing quick. Seasonal watch. Did the 2018 Grinch. I was very reluctant to watch this when it came out. Is that the... Uh, um, is that the... Is that the Benedict Jim- Cumberbatch. Oh, oh, okay. Okay. Has that been 2018? Has it been that long ago? I thought it was like 2021 or something. Was it really? Oh, man. No, it's- yeah. 2018. Wow, seriously? Five years, dude. Five years. Man, I don't know where those years went. Just let so me I'm say gonna, that. 
Yeah. 25 years in the blink. Well, just like yesterday, again, our youngest was saying, Dad, can you believe the Lego movie came out in theaters 10 years ago? And we saw it as a family. Yeah. Wow. And I said, I know, man, time goes quick. Wow. I, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I never would have guessed 2018 on that film. Why? Yikes. No. Yikes. No. All right. So here's the thing about this one. Uh, I went in with an open mind and an open heart. I didn't really grow up with the 90s one. At that point, I was I was a teenager and I was a bit fatigued on Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. I've come to appreciate it. Yeah, it's Certain, fun like, for what it is. Yeah, designs, uh, you know, quite impressive. The, the Carrey performance is quite impressive. Yeah, yeah. Christine Bransky, <laughs> yeah. quite impressive. Um, yeah. Makeup and all. Uh, but this one, I got to say, when I look at it with an open heart, I, I liked it well enough. I mean, some people think... I think people, even if it's subconscious, and maybe this is an unfair thing to say, are a little too precious about the other two at times. And, and you know, like John Carpenter always says, you know, we still have those ones. Um, yeah. This, the animation's good. I think Cumberbatch is fine in the film. Pharrell Williams as the narrator's fun. Kenan Thompson, Rashida Jones. Uh, look, it, you know, it looks like um, the animation style is very um, Angela Lansbury uh, as Mayor McGurkle. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It it feels like that. It's the animation that was very similar to the Lorax. A little yes. shinier than Lorax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little shinier, I'd say. Uh, you know, for the record, my daughter loves this one, so I've watched it pretty much every year, and uh, I do enjoy it. Again, nothing touches the original for me because I think this is the type of material that touches you at a young age. And yeah, so uh, going to be very precious to the ones that yeah, the ones yeah, yeah. Some people, there's a whole generation of folks that love the Jim Carrey one. And it's their childhood version. And yeah. now for our kids, this is their child. In some cases, this is their childhood version. So I don't think any of them are, you know, again, I'm going to take the original. But uh, yeah, yeah, I would too. Obviously, that's the one I grew up with, right? Yeah, well, there you go. The uh, I'm pretty sure this new, that one, it doesn't have any musical numbers. I think is something I liked about it. I think it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't Russian. drop, yeah. It doesn't really drop into music that I remember or recall. There's a couple of music moments, songs, but nobody like just breaks out into song. And that's what I've kind of, I was kind of worried about when I watched it. But uh, I like it. I like the screaming goat quite a bit and the big, large reindeer. I think he's very funny. The gigantic oh, reindeer with yeah. the that makes the coffee and everything else. I love, I love all that stuff, and I love the relationship between the Grinch and the dog in that one. So, um, some fun stuff there, no doubt. But yeah, it, it you know it's mercilessly short too. I mean, it's a short film, so it's not it's not bad. One of uh, Scott Mosier's Kevin Smith's few uh, his partner, one of his few directorial credits. It's a weird one, ain't it? Yeah, it definitely is. Uh, I got a couple things I can talk about that I meant to talk about. They aren't typically films, but I, this one has a GGTMC connection. And I can't believe I forgot to mention it a couple weeks ago. But I watched a documentary on HBO called The Way Down. This is about Gwen Shamblin and the church she had in Nashville, outside of Nashville, Tennessee. She's kind of a unique, uh, she unique, unique looking individual. But what I'd forgotten about Gwen Shamblin and that church catastrophe and all that stuff, that it's still down there, was I forgot that she married Joe Lara eventually. That Joe Lara ended up tied up into this somehow. And that Joe Lara, when he died in a plane crash, he died with Gwen Shamblin. He was flying the plane. And a lot of people don't even know Joe Lara's dead, but uh, yeah, he he was flying the plane. He was kind of an amateur pilot, and he was flying the plane that went down, and he died in that plane crash. This definitely gave me a bad taste in my mouth about Joe Lara. There's some 
ugliness here about a divorce he went through and some stuff like that. Again, you're only getting one side of the story, but even if it's only half true, it's still terrible. Uh, uh some of the stuff he put his ex-wife through. And uh it also does show you the other side of Joe Lara, which is his whole career, he was always tied to somebody that was older and somebody that had money. <laughs> so from his college years all the way until his death, that's the kind of women he was attracted to. So again, a bit of a rogue and interesting looking guy. For those of you who don't know, he's been in a few cheap science fiction movies, cheap action movies, uh, played Tarzan in Brooklyn. Good looking fella. Uh, definitely a GGTMC type of actor. Uh, not the greatest actor, but definitely a very good looking man. And uh, that's where he ended up. And he ended up down in a plane crash with her. The documentary itself is, it, I call it a documentary film. It's a miniseries. It's another one of these situations where you get three hour long episodes and they call it a miniseries when they really could have just released it as a three hour film, but that's just not the way they do things. I know sometimes I mention these and sometimes I don't. This one's pretty good because it kind of shows, again, the issues I have with some of this stuff. I don't think it's bad to believe in anything. I think it's bad, though, to believe in anybody who has to have power. I think that's always a tricky thing. And this lady wanted power. And that's I agree. A, that's a problem. And did uh, you go ahead? I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. You go ahead. I'll, I'll no. chime in after. I just, I just, you know, for me, that's again another one of them fascinating, doc, fascinating documentary subjects to me is why do people have to have power? Why, why can't we? You know, is it because money is tied to power, or it could be? I, I don't know. I, I don't understand it because you know I don't want power, so I don't, I don't understand things like power and greed. I don't understand things like those because I don't. And I guess that's why I always look at these documentaries and stuff, because I think I'm fascinated by these people that they can make their lives that way. And uh, obviously, you know, I'm not interested in that at all. So it's it's very interesting to me to kind of look into the psychosis of people like this. But, yeah, go ahead with your question. Sorry. So it was more of a curio piece statement. So I guess, you know, I, I know who Gwen Shamblin is to see her now. Uh, yeah, you, unique looking individual. Medical. Yeah. <laughs> The evangelical diet guru, which, you know, strike one, strike two for me. But, you yes. know, that's neither here nor there, I guess. Um, interestingly, it looks like Jennifer Gray played Gwen Shamblin in a movie, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. came out. Uh, and then it looks like Sarah Paulson, who's, who I think is a fine actress, is going to play Gwen Shamblin. Nice. Or let me, I don't know how old this article is, but oh, this is an older article, September 19, 2022. Um, yeah, she's wow. a she's a character. I mean, that lady was quite the character, and so there's a lot of good drama there. I haven't seen the Jennifer Grey film. I have seen photos from it. Um, it's interesting if you look up pictures of her and Joe Lara. Uh, you can see, you know, if you look at Joe Lara as a middle aged man, an older man, you can still see some of the Joe Lara that we knew as uh, you know B movie fans. You can still see a little bit of it in his face. But he really wanted to be a country musician. You know, that's one of the things. After he got out of action movies and everything else, he really wanted to be a country musician. So that's how he ended up in Nashville, and that's how he ended up with her and and all that stuff. And they would, you know, she would put church's money into his career, and he would turn that into country kind of Christian faith type music, and just a really odd back end to a career for Joe Lara. So just a weird story altogether. Uh, And, you know, it's just ultimately it's just kind of a sad story. Because, you know, children are involved and everything else. And it's just, you know, it just makes me wonder, you know, is that stuff worth it? I mean, is it all worth it? I don't, I don't know. But I guess people have justification for things like that. So, uh, very complicated. Actually, I should say it's five episodes. My bad. Not four, not three episodes. So it's five, like, so I guess it could be a miniseries. But I think it's worth watching. 
for those of you who are interested in that kind of material. The only thing that other that I watched, and this is totally a guilty pleasure, but just to fill out time for our intro, I watched the Paramount Plus reboot of the Frasier TV show. Now, I have often said over the years that Frasier, the Kelsey Grammer character, is probably one of my favorite television creations. I love his character. I loved him on Cheers. He was my favorite thing in Cheers. He is my favorite thing. Well, his own show I loved. And uh, I I watched this reboot. Now, this reboot, uh, again, this is not the gentleman's guide to television, but I just want to bring this up because I love it so much. This reboot starts out really rough, and I was really embarrassed and really tough because I love the Frasier character so much. He's kind of this know-it-all, but he's a dumbass too, right? It's like the perfect mix for me. It's a character I find incredibly funny. He thinks he knows everything, but the one thing he doesn't know is he doesn't know how to operate in life. Uh, because he's so smart, you know, he thinks he's got it all figured out, but life keeps kicking him in the nuts. Um, but it really, in the last four or five episodes, it really kind of caught it, caught up with itself and actually has a really good Christmas. The last episode of the season was a Christmas episode and it was really a touching Christmas episode. I really quite liked it. So, um, for those who watch television, like I do, uh, uh, check it out. I think it, it, again, it starts out bumpy. It's only a 10 episode season. A lot of these streaming shows are like that now. Um, but it's fun, and if you like Kelsey Grammer, you could do worse. I think he's, I think he, I think he's generally just a very funny guy. I, I personally think he's very funny. He has a dry wit that, for whatever reason, works for me. And uh, so there we go. Just wanted to get that out there. <laughs> he doesn't no, do I a lot of. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say I know our, our guy Joe Yannick's a huge Fraser Fraser fan. Is it, I think of the show Fraser, I think of him because yeah, he's always nice. like. Yeah, we we got Valentine as Kelsey Grammer. So. Yeah, we got that in common, Joe. If you're listening, we got that you in common. Because we got the bromance, the menage with Phil Kelsey boy. Yeah. Hey, yes. Uh, can you hang on just one moment? Yeah, I can definitely hang on a moment. Uh, that's what I do, brother. All right. So there, the the break Will asked for was so quick, you guys didn't even know. How's how's that? All right. So uh, yeah, that's uh that's all I've watched. Um, and that's all we got for that. But you know, the clock is ticking. I don't know if you know that or not. Moving ever TikTok, so slowly. Tick, tick, tock, tick, tock. <laughs> Goes the tick, tock clock. What, what time is it with that clock ticket? Do you know? Time for this or that, baby. It's this, 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 this or that. Here we go. Just clumsily walk into it. Screaming this time. <laughs> And just shutting it off quickly. <laughs> oh yes. All right. What you got? You got anything? I don't. I don't, I don't have anything. So you in the chamber, baby. Always got a few going. Yes. Yeah. Um, all right. So let me get to these. Uh, let me just see here. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm like, you guys don't know. We get up early to do this. For those who are new listening to the show. It's a uh, it's an early rise. Record a couple episodes. Keep the keep the GGTMC magic going, baby. It's a it's a lot. Let me tell you. There you go. All right, let's hear it, Will. Yeah, I got a few here. Uh, I'd saved some as we like to do. Uh, let me jump right into it though. Um, Antonioni or Bertolucci? Hmm. Uh, that's, uh, hmm. <laughs> yeah. Running through film, you know, this is going to be weird, but I think, I think I find Bertolucci's films more entertaining than Antonioni. 
Do you? Okay. I think I do. Um, you know, as a, as a film watcher of some, at this point in my age, of, of some heft, I've watched a lot of movies. I've seen a lot of Bartolucci. I've seen a lot of Antonioni. And I'm running everything. I've not seen all, for the record, of either one. I'm running through all of that in my head right now. And I think when I think of Bartolucci, I, I think I'm more entertained by his films. Antonioni can be, he can be a bit dry. But Bartolucci is definitely a lot more visceral for me. Yeah, I'm going to go Bartolucci. I could go back and forth on this for a while, but I'm going to go Bartolucci. No, I hear you. I'm going to go Antonioni. Okay. I like that his films sometimes are a bit, I have to wrestle with what I think of them. You know, um, yeah, definitely, definitely both, both of them in a way. Both can be in, I think in a way, and this is may not charmingly inaccessible, but they can be kind of confounding or like these puzzles that you kind of have to unpack and interpret. And sometimes I like to do those gymnastics while I watch things. Sometimes yeah. I don't. And I want a category three Hong Kong film, but yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I'm the same way. Sometimes I want to do that. And sometimes I want, I don't know, filth, you know, so yeah. it is what it is. But, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I can go either way on that mostly, but I'm just going to go Bartolucci. Um, mostly for later cycle Bartolucci, which is some interesting, if not controversial stuff nowadays. But, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Especially with um, some of the stuff that uh, Maria Schneider claimed on the back end, which is ugly stuff. And, yes. you know, I'm, I'm not going to get into it here. If it happened, it happened. If it didn't happen, it didn't happen. I don't know. Uh, it's been a he said, she said situation. But um, either way. Uh, a fantastic piece of art came out of it. I hope that uh, it was more cleanly than what it was. Let's say, let's just say that for sure. Uh, Alex de la Iglesia or Alex, to battle of the genre Alex's Alex de la Iglesia, or Alexander Aja or Aha. I never know if it's Aja or Aha. Yeah. I don't know either. Uh, I think I say Aja because Aha sounds so silly. Alexander Aha. <laughs> oh, I, think I can't so. quite bring to myself to say Alexander, or I mean, um, Michael Hanukkah. Yeah, Hanukkah, 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 Hanukkah. <laughs> I don't know. We could get into that. Um, hmm. I'm going to go Aja. Even uh, the stuff he misses on, I kind of enjoy it. I wonder what he's up to lately, now that you bring his name up. Yeah. I'm getting ready to look while, you're, uh, while you tell me which one you like. Also getting ready to look while I... Pontificate on this one. So this is a tough one. You know, I think De La Iglesia is a really good filmmaker. One that I, I mentioned in our review when we had Josh on that I really love that I don't think enough people saw when it came out was Witching and Bitching. Yeah, yeah. No, he's great. I love him. Yeah, he's super fun. Like, just a really good filmmaker. Uh, I, I said, I'm sorry. Did I? I didn't say he. I hope I didn't say he was Mexican. Did I? He's a Spanish filmmaker. I didn't say I, that, did I? I don't think you said Mexican, no. Okay. Good, good. I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember. Honestly, I don't remember you saying any nationality. But. Yeah, because yeah, I meant to say European because obviously Aja is from France, so and De La Iglesia is a Spanish filmmaker. Um, see, for me, and I know some people don't like it. I really love High Tension. Oh, I love I really, it too. Yeah, yeah. I love His Hills Have Eyes. Uh, I do too. I, I I go further than you go. I actually enjoyed his Piranha 3D, and I never saw Horns. I meant to. 
I did like his uh, alligator film or his crocodile film or whatever it was. Crawl. Crawl was fun. Yeah. Crawl was fun. Evidently, he did a film for Netflix. It looks like called Oxygen with uh, Melanie Laurent. So I need to I need to check that out. So I heard this was pretty good, and I I wanted to check it out. I like Melanie Laurent. She's a good actress. Very good. Yes. Concept was good. I started to watch it, and I can't remember why I turned it off, but it wasn't for anything to do with the film. <sighs> Looks like he's working on something. Never let go. He's working on right now, which I'm looking to see. It's a Halle Berry film, so a little bit nerve wracking there. It's a haunted spirit film, um, with uh, Halle Berry and family. So there you go. That's what it is. Don't know if it'll be any good. Don't know. We'll we'll find out. You want to know what's wild to me? Talk about my two worlds colliding. I was looking through Dila Iglesias' filmography. And I just happened to see the heated documentary called Messi. Now, anyone who watches football, and of course, I mean of the global brand and not the American brand, knows that that's Leo Messi, uh, the, the greatest footballer of all time. Surely, couldn't be, could it? And I'm looking at this, he did a documentary on Messi. Yeah. That's like, that's like John Carpenter doing a documentary on Jerry Rice. Uh, wow, that would be something I would watch. Uh, yeah, yeah Dela Iglesias, he, he does very interesting stuff. There's a, actually an HBO show or a show that HBO picked up called 30 Coins that I've been meaning to try to watch and that he's so I, part of that. So, Yeah, I think um, I think Josh was pushing that or maybe yeah. Venice Renia he was pushing. So I guess where I'm going with this is, well, I don't think I love any of Dela Iglesias' films as much as I love High Tension. Mm-hmm. I think his body of work as an artist, some of the stuff he produced, he's like a comic book artist or does comic book work. I think when I look at everything, I'm probably going to de- lean Dela Iglesia. Yeah, yeah, that's not a bad choice. Uh, I do rep really hard for his kind of homage to Spaghetti Westerns, 800 Bullets. I've talked about it on the show before. Uh, people should definitely check that out. I know Day of the Beast and Perdido Danny Durango and those are really popular, but 800 Bullets is a really great film people should check out, especially if you love Spaghetti Westerns. Oh, I forgot he did per- Perdido Durango, brown dress coat. Yep. Uh, 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 like the wool coat. Sorry, I figured that was, I didn't, it was appropriate to leave it in. It's a nice wool brown coat I have that Henry Silva would approve of. Um, yeah, I forgot. Perdita's really good. I think two of the shows, two of the podcasts that I wasn't on, that you've been on, were two of the Alex De La Glacia films. Uh, I think Perdita Durango and I think uh, Dave the Beast were both covered on the show, and I, I missed both of those shows. Yeah, so I think for me, like Lacey has a deeper roster and a more diverse roster, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. whereas Aja's high tension. High tension for me is like, you oh, know, it's, it's yes. great. It's great. I mean, I I know it doesn't make a lot of sense in hindsight and everything else, but yeah, no, I don't care. That, that's what I love about it. I love that yeah. it doesn't make sense. <laughs> I just I, I hate that people always card it for that. It's like, well, couldn't and not to spoil the film if you haven't seen it. Yeah, but there's a very like for me at least. How can you not see that maybe everything was all up there? Like, mm. does it really? Do you really need to have the dots connected? Like, we watch um, like Human Lanterns and all these bonkers, like you know, uh, Holy Flames of the Martial World, all these bonkers Shaw Brothers films. Surely you can, you know, connect yeah. the dots on this. Have a leap of faith. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mean, to me, that's the charm of high tension. Yeah. The charm is that that is what the charm of it is. I mean, I don't need it to make sense. By the way, you know, killer fish and piranha, that don't make sense either. 
<laughs> so, so I'll just say that you know I, I I'm I'm glad that it it doesn't. There's always there's two films of his I've been meaning to watch. Aja's. Uh, one is Horns, the Daniel Radcliffe film, because I like the book. And the other one is uh, a film called The Ninth Life of Louis Drax. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, Jamie Dornan. I think Aaron Paul might be in it as well. He plays Peter Drax. Um, it's a film that kind of came and went, and I meant to see it. I never saw it, and I just remembered it just now. So I want to check that out. Yeah, and he's uh, 45, man, so he's still got a lot of filmmaking to do. Yeah, that's yeah, odd, yeah definitely. But yeah, I do like this. See, that's a good one. Two mm-hmm. good European filmmakers. Um, Wuxia, or let me go broader. Samurai or Kung Fu film? Have, have we done this one before? You know, I don't know. I don't know. Um, just like the films we cover. So a little behind-the-scenes tidbit. Uh, Will and I, because we cover so many films... Neither one of us can remember if we've ever talked about Long Arm of the Law or if we've talked about the film we're covering next week. <laughs> so so we've we've never we we I try to keep a list, but sometimes that list is in question as well because there's been, been so many done. So these this or that's it's even more complicated for me to get and I can't keep a list of these things. So that that uh I don't think so, but I don't know. Maybe we have. Either way, let me answer the question. You said Hong, You said kung fu films and, and and samurai films. Samurai films, yeah. Now I grew up loving samurai films uh, for obvious reasons, uh, you know, nickname and all that kind of stuff. And I still do love samurai films. Um, but as I've gotten older, I've come to really love kung fu films even more than I did as a kid. So, as much as I love samurai films, I'm going to go kung fu. I'm going to go kung fu this time. That's just where my heart's at right now. Uh, it could in ten years it could go back to samurai films. Do you want to know what's what's crazy? Is I have the exact opposite approach right now. Yeah, where I grew yeah. up. I grew up loving both, mm-hmm. but I you know alongside horror films, kung fu films were my gateway. And but I feel like the point I'm at right now, I really love thinking about stuff like um, sort of doom. Um, Harakiri, you know, stuff like this that really, to me, when I think of, like, just real belters, I, I think of those films, right? Not to say I don't want to take away from, you know, your Samos and Jackies and, you know, your Humbiaos and Jet Li's and everyone. I love those. I always will. But that's just what way the wind's blowing for me right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I, Yeah, I mean, I think it's literally that kind of thing. And they're definitely different types of films, right? Um you know, more some uh, samurai films tend to be more stoic, more meditative, more swordplay, obviously oriented. Uh, kung fu films tend to be more visceral, uh, more choreographed, more kind of beauty of the human body movement and stuff. So they're two they're two different takes, but uh, depending on my mood, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so sorry, I didn't mean to sniffle on air. I thought I was turned down. Yeah, hey, you're sniffling. Good lord, sniffly sniney. Woke up feeling like a million bucks. Um, okay, I got two more quick ones here. Better Bronson, no, no, just better heel. Paul Coslow or Al Lettieri? <laughs> well, Coslow didn't like Bronson in real life. That's for sure. He did not like Charles Bronson. They did not get along. Um, they popped up in a couple of films together. Um, but I got to give this one to Al Lettieri. We talked about him with the getaway. A couple weeks ago, 
and uh, I really, I really like him uh, as the bad guy and in uh, in a uh, what's the name of the film? Uh, Mister uh, Mister Majestic. There we go. He's yeah, he's good in Mister Majestic. I almost said Mister Watermelon Farmer, which is technically what which it is too. <laughs> Yeah, technically that's what it is. Um, I really like him in that film. And uh, was was he in another Bronson film? I can't remember. I feel like he probably was. But his career was cut short, uh, health issues and everything else. But, man, he, he always made an impact when he was on screen. Not that Kozlo doesn't. I love Kozlo. Um, yeah, Kozlo's good, too. You know what might have been a better sort of title fight? Is Al Letieri versus Don Stroud? Oh yeah, that that would be a good one. That's yes. a prize fight. Yeah, it's weird that Don Stroud and Don Stroud is kind of like a mix of Al Letieri and Paul Coslow. When I think about Costa. it, <laughs> I know, man, that's a good call. <laughs> He's got the oh. sleaziness of Letieri, kind of mixed with that kind of hyper, goofy charm that Paul Coslow brought to screen. It's yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, right. It's uh, it's funny. You know, yeah. Um, so you went, did you go Letieri? Letieri, yep. Yeah, I think I got to go Letieri too. And I don't know if that's recency bias for his rib sucking scene in the getaway. <laughs> I'm just to revisit that in all his glory. But I love Coslo, but I feel like, you know, you and I have always appreciated the actors that are kind of uh, whirlwind kind of forces of nature. You know, I would have also loved to have seen Letieri versus Mario Adorf in a film. Oh, yeah, that would have been good. That would have been good. Or Letieri versus Milian. Well, Adorf maybe would have been a better match physically, but um, we could go on and on. But, yeah, I'm going to go I'm gonna go Letieri on this one. One final one. I think I know which way you're going to go. I'd be surprised if you didn't go this way. But let's see. Better composer for your money. Ennio Morricone or Bernard Herrmann. Mm. Yeah, I, you know, I like Bernard Herrmann. I really do, but I don't think he, I don't think he rivals any more corny for me. That's the problem. I don't think anyone does. Yeah, that's, that is part of the problem. But I, I mean, I do like Herman a lot, but no, I got to go. Yeah, I got to go any more current Morricone. Definitely. That, that one, listen, Herman's an all timer. Mm-hmm. All timer. All timer. Yes. Driver, Psycho, all the Hitchcock stuff, Vertigo, on and on and on. Um, but there's only one maestro. That's right. And that's, you know, and he was the man. I mean, to me, he's just, he towers over everyone else. I agree. There's any, and there's everyone else. He's the maestro. I mean, that's, that, that's just it. He's the maestro. And, you know, he's just synonymous with cinema, especially Italian cinema, but cinema in general, to be honest with you. Yeah. And I mean, listen, like Citizen Kane, Psycho and Taxi Driver, if I told you we were going to take the other choice in that composer category, you'd be like, whoa, they better be good. Well, guess what? Maestro is good. Yeah. 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 I'd, I'd say or like Swan says, better than good. Yeah. Herman's definitely top 10, maybe top five even. Yeah. He's up there. No doubt. You know, I just, you made me think of this. The I don't know why I thought of this. Uh, I think I just saw him on uh, my IMDb or something, but I just recently, I don't have it on me, but I just recently saw a photo, I think, of Terrence Hill and Mario Adorf at a film festival. Oh, my God. Yeah, with somebody else. I can't remember who it was. But I remember thinking, these guys are really getting up there, man, and they're still out there and doing their stuff, you know, and Adorf and Hill, they're both still working. You know? It's amazing. Adorf's 80, oh, it's- 87, I think. 
Uh, it looks like they were so Hill Uski Glass or Ushi Uski Glass and Mario Dorf at a screening for 60th anniversary of the movie Winnetou. Winnetou I. Ooh, Winnet. Win, yeah, I think Two. I know. I think I think I think I know good. that film. Yeah, come here. Yeah, he looks good. Look at Adorf, man. Scarf game. Scarf game on point. Terrence Hill looking like he uh, just came off the set of like an 80s film with Bud Spencer. Yeah. Actually, sure. I, I was yeah. wrong. Adorf's 93. He looks amazing for his age. Yeah, 93. And I, I can't, I don't know how old Terrence Hill is. He's, He's probably got to be in his 80s. 80s. Got to be. I'm looking now. I just got to know. It's just interesting. Some of these guys that survive as long as they do. Um, and some guys that, you know, again, I was thinking that without, I think it might've been it. Cause Al Lettieri, you know, it kind of came and went, you know, life is unpredictable. So, you know, you just never know. We'll see. Terrence Hill was born in 1939. So he's nine years younger than, um, uh, Mario Adorf. So Mario Adorf's 93. So there you go. You just do the math. Good Lord. 80, what is he? 84, 84 years old. So Winnetou looks like it was a German. That's Western. a yeah, yeah. That's that's uh, some of the earliest uh, spaghetti westerns, or some of the earliest uh, European westerns were made in Germany. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, not a lot of that stuff's available here, though. Uh, next to impossible to find, um, but there are some German, not spaghetti westerns, but German westerns out there. They were kind of. Honestly, they were kind of before Italy decided to start doing it. You know what's cool, too? You ever see those? I'd, I'd seen some years ago um, from a site that shall not be named. Those Soviet-era westerns that were more sort of angled from the indigenous side. Well, those were pretty cool, too. Yeah. Yeah, they, uh, they – I can't remember the name of the – the character that they would use over and over again in those German Westerns, it had, uh, it had like a Norton native American kind of bent to it, but they were making them, uh, they were making them before, uh, spaghetti Westerns were, uh, so it's pretty interesting. I don't think Terrence Hill was ever in them and I'm pretty sure that Adorf wasn't, but he might've been, I mean, he's old enough to be no doubt about that. He's old enough to have been in those. So, I think it's like Proudfoot or something like that, or Blackfoot, something like that. I can't remember, man. And I'm not going to go to the internet and start digging around, but it's not good podcasting. But it's something like that. And Winnetou, and, and that, that that's 80 years old, so Mario would have been 13 years old when that film came out, <laughs> which is mind-boggling. Uh, anyway, so is that is that it for the this or that's? Did I, that's did, it. Did I pick one? I, I guess I did pick one. Yeah, I picked Ennio. All right. All right. We are going to take a short break, and we're going to come back and talk about The Long Arm of the Law from 1984. We'll be back right after this.
right. We are back. The long arm of the law. How about that? Nobody move, nobody get hurt. That's, uh, I never, <laughs> that's, that's a pairing I don't think anyone could have foreseen. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. All right. Uh, so let's get into this one. Long arm of the law. Uh, original title, Sangong Kaibing. Maybe. I don't know. Sounds good. Uh, yes. Directed by Johnny Mock. Uh, thugs sneak into Hong Kong to rob a jewelry store, killing a cop during their getaway. They plan another heist while hiding from the police, hunting them down to avenge their slain comrade. I don't, I don't know necessarily if all that's incredibly accurate, but I do know that uh, this film is a bit of a cult film in uh, many circles. Uh, not very readily available for a long time. Maybe it had a DVD release at some point. Maybe I missed it. Uh, you can rent it uh, on uh, Amazon, evidently. And it is on the Hi Ya channel, which is a kind of an Asian centric, uh, inappropriately named <laughs> channel. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it is a good channel. Uh, if you want to see some Asian films, there's a lot of stuff on there. It kind of usually caters more to modern Asian films. So a lot of CGI heavy fantasy stuff. But uh, there are some classics on there, and this one just happens to be on there. There's three of these films that I know of one, two, and three. Um, I picked this one because 88 films sent a review copy to me and, uh, we wanted to check it out and I kind of wanted to do it, but I was worried because Will said the same thing. And when he said it, I thought, Oh man, he might be right. We thought we may have covered this. I think what's happened is probably, I don't think we have covered it for the record. I don't see it on my list. Doesn't mean we haven't, but, uh, I think probably, actually, I think there's long arm of the, I think there's part four of these actually. Um, which I didn't even know that. I thought there was only three of them. Um, the truth is we've covered so much stuff and we've talked about stuff so much time over the years. Sometimes we, when we do the, what we've been watching, we talk about stuff in detail. And I think that we reviewed that and come to find out we never reviewed the film proper. So it's, it's kind of fun. We don't really have a historian. We kind of do the history of history of our show ourselves. Been doing it a long time. Forgive us if we have covered this before. I'm pretty positive. We have not. I think we're okay. It's written by Philip Chan. Stars a bunch of actors that are known in Hong Kong circles. Uh, Lung Chiang, Jin, Jing Chen, uh, Ling Chao, Pak Fei, Ben Lam. I'm trying to think if there's anybody here that uh, folks would know right off the top of their head. Uh, it's a lot of Hong Kong character actors. Chan Ging would definitely be... A familiar face uh, to people. Shumai also, you know, again, very prolific. Um, a lot of those kind of, again, unless you're extremely well-versed in Hong Kong films, a lot of the, hey, it's that guy. Mm -hmm. right? But for me, probably Chang Ging's probably the most, um, like the most well-known face maybe off the top of my head, right? Yeah, like, no, I'd say, I'd say probably close, yeah. All world stars, right? Yeah. And he plays Rooster. Um, and that's the... M.Y. maybe? Maybe? Like David Lamb, right? Maybe? Maybe. I mean, this is definitely, again, cult material. And you'd have to be pretty versed in Hong Kong cinema of the 80s to know most of these guys. So we're not going to be able to... I mean, we could probably go through filmographies forever because they're in a lot of stuff. No doubt. Um, but it would be really hard to sit here and kind of go through all this stuff. Uh, not short shrifting these guys. I don't want to say that because these guys are all great. 
uh, in their own way. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, was it Hong Jian? Hong Jian? Hong Jian? Uh, Shen? Who uh, played? Was it? They call him Fatty in the thing or Chubby? I think. Yeah, that's Wong King. Wong yeah, okay. Ken. Yeah, okay. All right. Or or aka Hong Jian. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. That that you're probably right. That probably is probably the most known face, right? Uh, or no. second known, second most known face. Yeah, Lam Y, probably like Lam Y, Chang Ging are probably the most well known. I think. Yeah. So this is yeah, this is me not knowing much, but here anyway, there are some stuff we we do know. Samuel Hung helped produce this film. Well, not only did he produce it, I'm glad you you mentioned this. Uh, and again, let's just get this out of the way. Kudos to 88 Films for putting out a film that, even in Hong Kong circles, is a is a cult film. Uh, it's one that's very important to heroic bloodshed because it predates a lot of the stuff that uh, that John Mu was doing later on, uh, and Ringo Lam and guys like that. Um, and Samo also, of course, you see the stunt work. Guess mm-hmm. what? Samo and friends, right? So yeah, the Samo Hung Stuntmen's Association. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's some really good stunt stuff in here. Uh, definitely yeah. some Samo Hung level type stuff. Like in other words, I'm surprised somebody didn't die. <laughs> or that looks like it hurt so much. Yeah. You can't tell me somebody didn't get burned in this film. Uh, man, there's a car explosion while people are in the car. Not recommended. <laughs> no. So Johnny Mock, for the record, he is not really known as a filmmaker. He's kind of more of a producer, I would say, right? Yeah. He he only made a few films. Uh, this is one he actually directed. And... Uh, he uh, does an interesting job here with this film. He produced mostly, that's mostly what he's known for, I yep. would guess, producing these films and stuff. He's not really known as a film maker, but uh, produced a lot of stuff that you may have seen over the years. Um, the Iceman coming. Possessed films, right? Yeah. The Possessed films would probably be yeah. among the ones that he's probably most well known for in our circles. Yeah, I think uh, The Iceman Cometh was just recently released by Vinegar Syndrome which is the Yun Biao film he produced. Um, so that's kind of getting some notoriety again. Um, so he's he, he's done stuff like that, but not really known as a filmmaker. And, that you know, honestly, I think that's kind of a shame, and I'll get into that while we talk about the film. I'm sure you will as well. Um, but again, as we've talked about and as many podcasts have talked about, stuntman associations and action choreographers are almost in China's, in Chinese cinema are almost as important and as tied to the filmmaking itself as the director. So again, having when you see this, there's some energy here, and when you find out that Samo's involved, you're not surprised, right? So uh, let's get into it, man. I know uh, we'd both seen this before. For me, it had been forever. For you, I can't remember when it was the last time you'd seen it, but uh, this uh, is one that at least it yeah floated around in, in bootlegs for quite some time, and here it is on a proper release. What'd you think on this revisit? So I think it held up as good as I anticipated it would. I remember when I'd last seen this, I had the distinct pleasure of seeing this at the light box. Uh, there was a Hong Kong retrospective. Remember when, I don't know if you remember when I went, Jackie Chan was there to pol- present like police story in a few of his films. Mm, I remember you talking about it, yeah. Many moons ago. William was probably like four. I was contemplating bringing him to meet Jackie Chan. Like he was four or five. Uh, but in that Hong Kong, and there was like a Johnny Toe they had some Johnny Toe and Toe Jam, maybe a bad choice, was Johnny Toe films that uh, were also being presented, and Long Over the Law was also being presented as part of this Hong Kong film uh, retrospective. So I get to see this on a probably the smallest of the screens at Lightbox, but still on the big screen. Um, this holds up remarkably well. 
again, kudos to 88 Films for putting it out. I was looking at their uh, library, and they've put out a lot of cool stuff. You know, stuff like uh, Inspector Wears Skirts, Blue Jean Monster, which you and I spoke about off the air, Silent Rage, the Chuck Jam. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Chinese Boxer, which we did back when that came out. Yep. Boxer, Magic Crystal, which is a fun one with Ms. Rothrock. So uh, they got a ton of stuff, and they're a, they're a British label, uh, but they have a U.S. arm. Yeah, yeah, kind of like Arrow. They kind of start out over there, and they're kind of branching out further and further. Yeah, but it looks like they got a 4K house on the edge of the park. Yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh. But it's weird. They got like, they got house on the edge of the park, and then they have SWAT. <laughs> I mean, SWAT, the Colin Farrell, Sam Jackson, LL Cool J, yeah. and Michelle Rodriguez Jam. So, interesting. But they got a really cool, uh, they're, they're making quite a name for themselves. It felt like for a while, um, they were spinning their wheels a little bit, and then they found their footing, and, and they're releasing some really varied stuff. So kudos to them. Um, but yeah, this film opens up, and it predates, like we said, a lot of the heroic bloodshed stuff. So it never feels indebted to fall into that stuff. Uh, interestingly, this has mainlanders going to Hong Kong, which you didn't always see as a focal point in Hong Kong films. So it's an interesting thing from that perspective, almost the point of like this, the seeker realism early on where they're in the village and they're riding bicycles around and they, as much as their heist is the mission, the mission before that is just to get to Hong Kong. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Kind of a unique thing we take for granted in Western society is the ease of access uh, around the world. And they have to kind of um, get through and show their papers, which we haven't had a good paper scene in a while. There's one in here. (laughs) There is. Uh, I I like a lot of that. The country stuff that they and that's what they would call themselves being outside of Hong Kong and stuff. The country. I like a lot of that stuff. You see the camaraderie. You see that they had a history together. Um, they were in, uh, probably during the social uprisings in China and stuff, they were part of a, uh, a group, uh, I don't know which group exactly. I don't know enough about Chinese history to be able to tell you the truth of what it is, but I do know that they seem they're, they're a band of brothers, right? And that is part of the charm. I think for me of this film, um, agree with you. I uh, think there is a certain camaraderie here and. I think we're better off, sorry to cut you off, for having character actors, right? Yes. As opposed to having that pecking order where we, you know, we have some of these stars in Andy Lau or Tony Leung or uh, Cheyenne Fat or someone that we know is going to be the the guy that's that's left at the end, right? Yeah, I think it's interesting to talk about this because, um. You know, I think the, some of the things that work with a film like this. So you're you're, you're dealing with guys. These aren't good guys. Uh, they're not. Inc- they're not. They're more gray than anything, right? They're country guys. They don't have. Uh, they don't have money. They want what's best for them and what's best for their families. But they're not avoiding the other kind of vices of life. They're not. You know, they're not above sleeping with uh, prostitutes. They're not above money. They're not above uh, being a you know a criminal, but I think what's interesting about the film, and I think you would agree, is that it is telling the story of uh, a bunch of a gray-minded men who are on a mission, but also men who feel like they're at the end of the rope, and they have to do something drastic to make their lives better. 
this is a desperate film. Yeah, it's it, shot tight. It's a very desperate film. Yeah, and I think that's what's interesting about this movie. They, I mean, you know, you're not rooting for them per se, but you're not rooting against them either, right? Um, and I think that's what makes this film really interesting to me is that, you know, are they fighting people? Are they, I mean, they do shoot a cop. They do some terrible things. Are they fighting the system? I mean, are they fighting politics? I mean, it's definitely a political film, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it, it asks a lot of questions and it's easy. Don't get me wrong. I totally agree with this way of looking at movies. It's a film. It's a piece of entertainment. You don't have to think about any of that stuff. You don't want to. You can just sit and watch it for what it is. That's great. But it is interesting to look at these kinds of things sometimes, uh, like Eastern Condors and this, and 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 even the Wild Bunch. You're you know, you're rooting for you're not rooting for necessarily, but you're watching bad guys do bad guy things, right? And that's interesting to me because it it flips everything on its head. And what's really interesting is, and I think this is, and I think you'll agree with this is the charm of these characters interacting with each other, being bad or not, quote-unquote immoral, law-breaking, whatever you want to say, you come to love these characters because they're with each other. You start to feel their pain when Bullseye gets taken out. Um, But but I I don't think that's a spoiler because it kind of happens early in the film. But one of theirs basically kind of gets taken out. You, You start to feel these things for these characters and feel the desperation, as you said, that these characters are going up against. And I always find that fascinating because, uh, you know, a lot of times in America, we like everything black and white. We've kind of, we kind of got away from that in the seventies. And then we kind of went back to it in the eighties, where it was good guy versus bad guy. Very, very strong kind of right hand, uh, right wing, uh, political stance. Reagan um, era. Yeah. Reagan era stuff. Yeah. And we've kind of went away from it, but we now we're kind of coming back to it again. We're kind of coming back to this, you know, you know, it, it's interesting to me that there's a lot of left-wing people that say things about right-wing people, but these same left-wing people don't want their entertainment to be any type of gray area right. because that's, you know, they, 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 they got it all mixed up. It's all mixed up right now. So it's interesting to me in that regard. But it essentially is that, you know, it's a men on a mission film with a lot of character development, actually. I think you get to learn these, you get to know these characters quite well, up to and including the guys that are even worse than them the corrupt cops and arcade owners and whatnot. I think all that okay. stuff's fascinating. I agreed. Um, I, 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 that's all I had on that part. <laughs> I think I left you speechless for a minute. Or you're still you're still compromised with PlayStation uh, negotiations. You know it. <laughs> but I was I was PlayStation Plus is the yeah. soup. I would say soup du jour, but the soup of the moment. Yes, I'm starving. By the way, but for the record, you said soup. I, I could use for I could use a bowl of soup right now. What soup would you get right now? Um, oh man, right this second. I'd like a, I think I'd like a hearty beef stew right now. Yeah. I was so, kind of thinking you'd go like a beef barley or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Something, something hearty right now. Not, not, not too liquidy, not too pasta filled, just chunks. Something, yeah. something to get, <laughs> something to get going. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> right. 
We're only human. Um, but no, I agree. I think that this, again, is funny, you know, back-to-back weeks, this and our, our show next week, we get into realms that we like to play in or observe, and that's sort of Hong Kong noir mm-hmm. or Hong Kong neo-noir. And next week we get into sort of 80s neo-noir through Las Vegas. So it's interesting to kind of see these realms. And yeah, we're in this world with people that, by and large, and again, there's not a lot of there's some there's there's police in this, but more often than not, this is more about our principal characters than it is the cat and mouse or the sort of the two sides of the coin. Yeah, right. And we should say we we program our show two weeks at a time. We kind of inadvertently programmed. We didn't mean to this one to be a Christmas film. But I think we had both forgotten this was set around Christmas. And yeah, just, that's right. What are the odds? It was just an accident. And we have a, another Christmas theme film, obviously for next week being Christmas week, so it just kind of happened by accident. Really, I I totally forgotten that Christmas was even involved in this film. Yeah, which again, it's, it's, it adds a layer to everything, right? Because Christmas is about being able to give and and to give things to people, and these are four, five, six gentlemen who don't have enough money to give. They don't even have enough money sometimes to even take care of their own. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting, and what you know, what do desperate people do? And ask those questions and stuff. So yeah, and it never, it never feels like it doesn't romanticize it. It humanizes it, but it doesn't romanticize it. Um, and I think it's it's a very interesting nuance. Look at that. Um, I love the the camera work in this. We talked about this film feeling very kind of. Um, feverish kind of claustrophobic it feels like the walls are closing in and this is one of those films speaking of antonioni not to just keep dropping these fancy filmmakers names in but i think of filmmakers that use landscape to evoke feeling and i don't know that it's accidental or not but it just feels like so much this film feels like the walls are closing in to the point with the very end something that has to be seen to be believed, you know, the walled city of Kowloon. And I don't want to get ahead too much, but just, it seems like the only logical conclusion, like these guys are rats in a maze and they're, they're they're desperately trying to find their way through it. Right. Yeah. Definitely has that feel like they're, they're trapped in a maze of their own making. Oh yeah. And they can, you know, they're going to have a hard time getting out. They just, they almost like digging themselves a hole. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely are. And it's, um, yeah, we just keep getting tighter and tighter and tighter. Uh, but yeah, funny Christmas movie. I mean, you never see Christmas stuff in Hong Kong films, really. We get these Southeast Asian Santas. There's an ice skating sequence at a mall. Christmas lights, carolers. Even, even not Christmas related, but Chuck E. Cheese even shows up to get his ass slapped. <laughs> I didn't even know Chuck E. Cheese had made it that far. That hey, that was not on my bingo card. <laughs> no, no, it was not on mine either. No way. <laughs> but you know what would have been on my bingo card is is good stunt work. And there's a really wild stunt at the mall where guy gets shot over the top of like a multi-level mall, falls all the way down onto the skating rink. Of course, he slides along the ice in one of the few kind of stylish moments in the film. Uh, and there's just blood smeared behind him. And uh, that's good stunt work. It's a really good really good sequence yes i really like it yeah really really good that is that is actually quite crazy and then of course when you see realize that of course i don't think anybody really fell from that distance into the skating rink but i do believe that you get that 
sense of danger that only Sammo Hung and his team can kind of give you? I can tell you that I've fallen on the ice a few times playing hockey. And even from just standing on the ice, it does not feel very forgiving at times. I bet. So, yeah, that had to leave a mark. Um, what else do we got here? Again, not just sort of the, the hand-to-hand stuff, but the, the car stuff, car chases, flames. There's that one sequence where they light the car on fire and the camera's inside the car and you see the window starting to char and you think, oh man, this is... Because rarely do you see that, right? Rarely do you see that in a film and it's uh, it's something. You know, the thing I like about this, like it's it's a bit of a different crime film. It's what we've... You know, we like to cover sometimes, and it's sort of like the the working class or the blue jean crime film, right? Yes, like yes. entry level. This isn't like the Godfathers and the suits and the cigarette boats. This is the the blue jean crime film. So, uh, blue jean and pink tracksuit. It should be said. <laughs> so, I also will not uh, avoid the color pink. I know you like to wear the color pink sometimes. Yeah. I don't. I don't avoid it. I think it's a nice looking color. Yeah. Um. In in our generation, it has a history, which I think is kind of silly. But uh, I have to say, uh, this pink jump track suit, mm. <laughs> a little tight. Mm. A little tight. <laughs> Even for me, man. I do let it out a bit. Like, yeah, look, I like pink. I like track suits. I like tight clothes. This is this is a bridge too far. Yeah, yeah. A little tight. Even for me. I mean, I know it's tracksuit season in Hong Kong, but it's like, dude, like maybe mix it up. Maybe go with black track pants. I mean, he's got the pink on pink going. That's a bold look. That is. That is a, that is a super bold look. As a matter of fact, I was really impressed that he went that far because that is a, that is full tilt pink. <laughs> it is. It is. Like, um, I mean, at that level, at that level, when you're going that pink, you're making a statement, aren't you? You have to be. Well, you are. I think I, I've. You know, as I've gotten older, I still, like I said, I wear pink and I wear, you know, lavender and I wear all sorts of, I like colors, but yeah. But if you wear a pink jumpsuit out, you're making a statement. You're saying, yeah, I I mean, but maybe in this case, it's a statement of I have money or maybe it's a statement of I'm the man, but it's definitely a statement. Yeah. Yeah. It it is a statement. Um, Good for him. Uh, (laughs) I'll do it at that. Um, You know what I love in that scene when he's in his pink tracksuit? Because it gets into a little bit of the the mind games and who's turning on who and who's this and who's that. I love that moment, and it reminds me so much of like a Michael Winner, uh, Charles Bronson moment when they got the the paper over the hand and, and he he points it out like he's going to shoot a gun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Take the paper off. It's just his hand doing the gun gesture. Yeah, that felt like a Bronson moment to me. I really love that. Yeah. Um, I also love Chopper versus Car Shootout. Man, the this movie has a couple great moments, but you gotta you gotta really give it to the climax of this film, don't you? I mean, believable. It really amps everything up, and it really pumps a ton of action and a ton of craziness into like the last what fifteen twenty minutes, maybe. Probably the last twenty. Yeah, it, it gets really nuts, and it, it you know you think about like you know all your Hong Kong stuff that came before this or after this. And it's wild, but I mean, this just, it has so much and it's, it just feels lean and mean. Yeah, it does. And what's interesting is Samuel's not really, I mean, to me, he's not really as known as much for this kind of stunt work as he is the kind of physical interaction or people falling off of stuff. 
Yeah. But this stunt work is pretty crazy. I mean, the car explosions in this film are nuts. The There's a car that gets shot up and explodes while the guys are in the car. Oh, yeah. And you can see the flames hitting them. And these are the actors in the film. <laughs> and you're thinking to yourself, that might not have been a good idea. And then they run toward another car, only to have it explode. Uh, it's pretty crazy. And everything that kind of happens for these characters... It's pretty nuts. Um, you know, you do get the same old people jumping out of windows down into dumpsters. You get moments like that, and and you do get some close fighting and stuff. But this movie's, you know, it's hyper violent toward the back end, right? I mean, it's there's not a lot of blood everywhere, but there's blood enough. I mean, and it's it's pretty crazy and claustrophobic and sweaty and just desperate. yeah, desperate. I, I, I watched it last night, and I remember just being caught up. In the, the back end. I mean, you're really just kind of caught up. I mean, like, hand over my mouth caught up. You know, yeah. like, like I can't believe all this stuff is happening right now. Like, it, it's the wild bunch on the move, in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. And, and it's so much fun. And it's so good. And again, this makes me think, why didn't Johnny Mock make more films? Why didn't he direct more films? Clearly, he knows how to direct a movie. So maybe it was just too much work. I know you've, you've, I've heard that from directors over the years and interviews and everything else, that it's just a lot of work to direct a film. And so maybe it's easier to produce. I don't know. Maybe it's easier to do other things. I don't work in the industry, so I don't know. But uh, he has gone on to be a, quite a producer, but um, maybe that's the reason he hung up the directing and stuff because it is. it does seem like it's a lot of work. And there's a lot of moving pieces here and a lot of characters you got to identify and hang with and and whatnot, and I think he I think he does a pretty masterful job of that for a guy that's only directed three films, really two films, one he co-directed. So, pretty masterful kind of directorial effort, really, when you think about it. Well, the thing of it is, he, you know, he's got good people working with him, right? So it's it's kind of hand in glove. It it works wonderfully as a result. Yeah, I mean everything works. I mean the heist works. I love the heist. It builds tension. It goes crazy. Just a couple of little moments, but the moments all work when the guy hits the alarm and stuff. And uh, I don't know, man. So much good stuff. So much good stuff. I mean, outside of the characters kind of sitting around talking, there's not really any downtime. But even when the characters are sitting around talking, it works. I think if there's anything that the film kind of struggles with, and you know, you can say if I'm wrong here or not, in your opinion. I think it struggles a bit with the the ladies of the night stuff. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit for sure. I think it's just a bit clunky. I think for the one character it works because he has a past relationship. Mm-hmm. But I think for all the other guys, it's not a good look. Like the one character, I mean, he all but forces a girl to give him uh and we got we got blowjobs that come up twice in the button these two week shows too. We also get a tiled, a gloriously tiled bathtub in this. Yeah. So that one, that one, at least you feel like both parties are in tune, right? Yeah. But the scene with the gun and the forcible fellatio is, eh, you know, I mean, again, I understand it's a movie and stuff. I understand what it's going for and stuff. But again, it makes it hard to maybe root for a character. It definitely makes things gray, right? Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. Very misogynistic in a weird way and very weird. Uh, weird in tone, which is again another subject that comes up in both of our films this weekend next week. <laughs> oh yeah, 
So but that stuff, I, I feel like, I, I don't know if it needed all that. I think, I guess it did because it's given them a taste of the vice and the things that they love, but, uh, or the things that they crave, you know, what the rich people crave. I mean, they probably never stayed in a hotel before. They probably never taken a bath in a bathtub that glorious before. It's a big bathtub. I've never taken a bath in a bathtub that big. Have you? I don't know that I have. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Just, some of that stuff's really interesting to me. So I don't know if it works or not, but I think it does. I think it does. I think it makes the film a more complete film. I agree, especially considering the sort of kitchen sinky sensibility, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, definitely. So. Yeah, um, I don't have a whole lot more to add, to be honest with you. Um, we've covered it. Like I said, that sequence at the walled city of Kowloon, after that, this film, I became very, I wouldn't say obsessed, but I was sort of fascinated for a while to look this place up, and it's a real place where people lived, and such a time capsule piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't have a whole lot to add. I mean, I kind of talk quite a bit during your part of the review, but I'll just say that the word, I guess, that we could use to describe this film is it's very propulsive. You know, that's a word we use every now and then, and people use. But, I mean, this one, big time, uh, I think it's very propulsive. I think it moves along at a very good clip. It's about 100 minutes long, 106, I think, or something like that. Yep. So not a super long film. The characters are all fun to um, – to hang out with, even though they're doing questionable things. Um, they're interesting. Um, I will say this. Uh, I don't know that we've covered a film with more cigarette smoking in it than this one. Yeah. <laughs> if we cover some Greek films of the eighties, we might get into some smoking like this. Rothman's for life. Yeah. Yeah, man. They are, they are smoking like it's going out of style in this film. I mean, everybody, people are riding bikes and they're smoking. People are doing everything and they're smoking. <laughs> Lots of darts. <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting to kind of look back and see that kind of stuff too. Uh, again, I'm not judging. I would never judge. You want to smoke cigarettes. You want to smoke cigarettes. That's your, that's your vice. That's your thing. I'll, you know, I teach throne. I'm, I'm a firm believer in that, but um, you know, obviously it's a cultural thing too, right? I mean, you know, uh, Europeans, I, I believe they still smoke quite a bit compared to Americans. I'm not hundred percent positive it's on that, but got a lot better. Yeah. I mean, some countries sure. But like when we were in Italy and England, it's pretty tight, man, compared to some places. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, like I say, teach their own. I mean, it's, it's, it's an industry. It is what it is, but, uh, uh, I don't really have anything else to add to the film outside of the release is really nice. It's got a commentary from Frank Chang who, uh, does commentary for Asian films, uh, on occasion. I haven't listened to it yet. Can't wait to listen to it. Does have an interview with Johnny mock, which I did watch that. Um, Oh, I, I do want to bring up that they get to the civilized world. They get to the, you know, the city. And what do they do? They get pizza and McDonald's. That's the sign of, <laughs> that's or the sign. Yeah. yeah. It was funny <laughs> to see that old school McDonald's, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, man. Star foam cartons and whatnot. That was funny. Uh, it was. And uh, I like that stuff quite a bit. And it's always great to see it. Of course, it's always also great to see how big a Big Mac used to be compared to how big a Big Mac is now. Oh, good uh, Lord. That's a, that's a shrunken, it's a shrunken, um, <laughs> it's a shrunken history compared to what, uh, what it used to be. 
Um, that's fun. Drinking Coca-Cola, obviously. These are just vices. These are things we take for granted, really. But these guys have probably not got to share a lot of this stuff, right? They're in the city, and they're doing big city things. Also, this film does have another one of those moments where security footage is watched, and it looks well, like it, uh, and it looks like it's been edited by a filmmaker. <laughs> clearly, it's the same angle as like the shots from the film. Yeah, yeah it's the same stuff from the movie. Yeah, <laughs> it even cuts when the guy's falling. It cuts from one to the film in the ice. It cuts back and forth. It's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. But I just want to get that out there. But no, I think pound for pound, this is one of the better kind of uh, kind of glorious bloodshed type of heroic bloodshed type of films. Uh, in a way, it's almost all based on the criminal element. Very little kind of cop here, 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 heroics here. Sorry, got tied up on that word heroics. But um, it's kind of almost all told from the side of the, the bandits themselves. And in that way, it's kind of like a Western. And it, it, it kind of works uh, really well. And I had a really good time with this film, man. Like, I, I can't recommend this film enough to people who love these kinds of movies. You might have a hard time because you don't have a lot of big stars here. If you're not a big... Chinese film or Hong Kong film fan. Um, but I don't think any of that matters here because everybody's kind of on equal playing ground. And- I think, yeah, there's something to, to get. I think there's something for kind of noir and crime fans or something for Hong Kong action fans. You know, there's a yeah. lot. Yeah, it, it kind of ticks a lot of boxes for sure. It does. Definitely does. All right, I'll kick it over to you for Micro Breaks and VTs. Make a break. What can I say? Walled city of Kowloon. You know, it's just, uh, it's incredible. It's something that will never exist again in our lifetime. Um, uh, just an incredible, incredible piece of, uh, of history. Um, my MVT for this film, I'm going to go, I want to give it to mock as a director. I feel like he does a really good job of, Keeping everything, I could go with Samo and his stunt work. We're going to give it to them somewhere along the way. Mock isn't going to oh, get yeah. a chance. Samo's going to get it probably ten more times before we get done doing this. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think this is a good film that moves at a good pace. It's gray area, good noir, predates the heroic bloodshed that came later in the decade. My score for this one's an eight out of ten. I think it's a very, very good film. It's lean and mean. It doesn't fall into that trap with a lot of Hong Kong stuff where there's like, I don't want to say silly sentimentality and kind of maudlin melodrama, but it kind of avoids a lot of that stuff and mm-hmm. just keeps propelling towards this sort of doom laden finale. Yeah, it's not completely, I mean, it does have some tonal shifts, but no, they're not really abrupt like some Hong Kong films of this period are. It really kind of maintains what it's going for. So we're 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 in Sapatico with this one, man. Uh, it, to the T. Uh, my make or break is also the Wall City Kowloon. Uh, my MVT is also Johnny Mock because I I doubt we'll ever give it to him again for anything. And uh, my score is eight out of ten. I mean, I think this film is is glorious. It's very, a very very good film. It's a wonderful film. Like uh, you could you could go way wrong on this kind of genre. Uh, this is one of the best examples of the genre, I think. To be honest. Oh, yeah. So I want to thank 88 Films for sending it our way. Um, that's pretty much it. Uh, Will, what are we doing next week? So, yeah, next week's going to be our big old Christmas episode. Um, we're going to have our good friend Davey Mac back in the mid. Davey Mac. Davey Mac. I was talking <laughs> Davey Mac. Davey Mac. <laughs> Director Davey of In the Line of Fire. Or, yeah, the, the long, long Arm of the Law, part five. There we go. Exactly. <laughs> We're going to have, uh, good old, good Lord, I bungled that, Davey Alcock. 
he's going to be back. It's a Christmas tradition. We let him program the show. He knows who our patron saints are. He knows we've been good boys all year. And as a result, we're entitled to some Burt. So we're going to get into 1986's neo-noir heat with the Burt. And uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. No doubt about it. It's going to be amazing. And Davey's amazing. It'll be good to talk to him again. So um, looking forward to that. Make sure to check out Not a Bomb, Not the Living Podcast. Again, Watch Get Plus is on hiatus, but they're, they're thinking about coming back. Hopefully they'll be back sooner rather than later. Uh, Mary with Clickers and Chinstroker vs. Punter and the Feminine Critique. See here podcast. Love that album. Uh, Raiders of the Podcast. I think I may have hit everybody that time. I hope I did. And now for something a little bit different. John yeah. Horgan's video. John Horgan, yeah, John. Sorry, John. You're kind of the new kid on the block. So it'll take me, like Raiders, it'll take a little while for me to mention you. But yes, John's doing uh, the Lord's work over there, doing the solo video podcast. The brave, bravest man on the internet for me. Tough gig. <laughs> Tough gig. Tough gig. Yeah, good good for you, though. Uh, so, yeah, check that out. He reviews films, uh, talks to folks about films, independent filmmakers, all kinds of stuff like that. Definitely, if you love cinema, you'll love John's little show he's got going on. So, check that out. Uh, so, we will sign off here. Looking forward to Christmas. And, uh, you know, I know that's not this is not Christmas week, but I hope everybody's building up to it. Have a safe holiday. If you don't listen to next week's episode, because next week's episode, the week after, I should say, will come out on Christmas Day, so you may be tied up that day. Uh, I want to say Merry Christmas now, in case you are. And, uh, Will, I'm sure you feel the same way to all of our listeners. Absolutely. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Whatever you're celebrating or not, look at it as a time to be with loved ones. And uh, yeah. try not to stress too much, you know, uh, enjoy good food, good company, and uh, and good film. Yeah, good film. There you go. I like that. Um we love you guys. I'll say adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. 